0: I'm weird. Hello and welcome to Islington Mill is Queer. This is a series of audio interviews covering the queer history of Islington Mill, one of Salford slash Greater Manchester's most legendary and important artistic spaces. My name is The Nihilist, a.k.a. Nile O'Connell. And over the course of these interviews, I'll be speaking with some of the creatives who have been involved in the history of Islington Mill, as well as those who are currently working here and those who are going to be involved in Islington Mill's future moving forward. The purpose of these interviews is to document the history of Islington Mill, but also to shine a light on the queer side of that history, which up until now probably hasn't been highlighted that much as queer people existing in a heteronormative society. It is important that our history is documented, but it's also important that we get to tell our history ourselves so that nothing gets mistranslated or misunderstood in that documentation. And so, the format of these audio recordings is going to be fairly straightforward. It's just a one-to-one or one-to-more, however many is needed, interview Between me and, as I've already mentioned, the creatives who are queer and have been heavily involved in Islington Mills past and present and future. And so to get the ball rolling, I decided to sit down with Riv Burns, who has been very instrumental in Islington Mills past, most notably as part of Off With Their Heads and as live music act booker here at Islington Mill for roughly about the first half of the past decade. Also, Riv was instrumental in helping um, myself and my partner, Joe Spencer, who we used to work together under the banner Tranarchy, in bringing the American queer performer Christine to Islington Mill for a number of years in what was almost uh, like a summer residency that Christine did here. Probably best known under the name Bummer Camp. So yes, welcome to episode one of Islington Mill is Queer, with me, the Nihilist, and our first special guest, Riv Burns. Riv Burns, do you remember the first time you ever saw Islington Mill, or were made aware of its existence?
1: I do, and I remember being absolutely terrified, but also astounded. Um, Yes, I do. Do you want want me to go into it? Yeah, please tell me, yeah, yeah. Um, I had been in Manchester for just a month and a half um, and i had been to see a band um, at gosh it's the place that's next to Albert Hall now um, but it was a basement I think it was called like Chicago Rock Cafe or something awful um, okay. and I went to see this Canadian band called The Organ who I was friends with um, at the time and um, yeah so it was five piece kind of like Smiths kind of vibe from Canada and Watched the band and talking to them at the end, they were like, Oh, we're going to go to this party. I was like, Sweet. And like, you should come. I was like, Amazing. Yeah. All right. That'd be great. So, we bundled into a taxi with two of my friends and uh, two complete strangers um, who turned out to be Jane Compton and Deb Jump, who ran uh, Club Brenda at the time. Cool. And uh, what, a,
0: some, what a little taxi to I jump know, into. It was like one of the best. Yeah.
1: Um, and it was, yeah, black cab, and literally took us like two minutes down the road um to this like yeah huge steel gate and it was like dark and it was cold it was october i was like God, oh, where the hell are we walked in there wasn't a front door at the time so we came in through the side entrance walked up what felt like a million stairs all the way up to the fourth floor and um, to the room in which we are today right um, studio room yeah studio room mm-hmm. and it was pitch black um until you open this door and it was just like projector on the white wall and Fairy lights and DJ, like DJ set up in the corner, and I just um, yeah, DJ'd with Jane for about three, four, five hours. I um, had such a lovely time. I um, remember drinking uh, vodka with Vimto and hot water because it was the <laughs> only thing around. Um, I met Bill and Maury for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just kind of found a little home and then left at kind of six, seven in the morning, as you mm. always do at your very first experience of Islington Mill, I think. Um, and walked out and really vividly remember the um, advertising board that's on Chapel Street with yeah. the kind of the big feet and the people. I was like, I have no idea where I am. I've been in Manchester for a month and a half. Where am I? Yeah. And it turns out I was in the other city. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience in the mill. Scary, what? but then homely.
0: Yeah, what uh, What year was this?
1: Uh, 2005 or 2006, I can't remember. Okay. When.
0: And at that point in time, the mill was basically just. This room that we're in now. Yeah, it was the fourth. I think from historically, from what Bill has told me, he first started renting the fourth floor, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then having those little parties here. So was that at the time when I think Bill was just using this floor?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I remember walking down and. As I say, it was dark, but you could see silhouettes of like ladders and stuff in some of the spaces. So he's obviously starting to do the renovations of right. splitting the space into studios. Cool. Um, and I believe Rachel Goodyear was here at oh. the time, still in the same space she, she occupied then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there were a few people here already occupying studios, but it was very much being built as mm-hmm. well.
0: Yeah. You went on to have a much more um, embedded, deep relationship with the mill you were working here. Could you tell me how that came about?
1: Yeah, so I kind of disappeared from the space after that one experience because I I honestly had no idea where I'd been or how I got there or how I'd ever get back. Mm. So I kind of disappeared from the space for a good uh, four years or so, um, maybe a bit less actually. Um, And then I was involved in a record label called Red Deer Club, um, which was a kind of folk label based in Manchester. And we hosted a night at Intermill and so I came in and I was like, oh, this." this I remember this place and um, and it looks a lot different now this was probably 2009 late 2009 yeah it was our Christmas party 2009 I um, met Bill Morrie again um, and and was who ran Red Deer Club was very connected to a festival that happens here called Sounds for me the city and so in 2010 I started volunteering with Sounds for me the city as a volunteer volunteer manager and mm-hmm. um, something I didn't know I'd googled and I was like oh I think I can give that a good start mm-hmm. Um it went okay. And then in two thousand and ten, over that summer, Is Intermill got its refurb um down on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. Um so it got the kind of access ramp built in, the gallery space was created, the club space had a permanent bar built. Um and yeah, I think I got a job off the back of that because mm-hmm. they wanted to start to create like a team here that yeah. could actually start to deliver for things more right. I guess Not professionally, but like more properly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Less haphazard. So yeah, 2010, uh, October, I left all my my jobs and went freelance. And Islington Mill was the kind of main driver of that. And I stayed here running the events program um, for four years, just over four years.
0: Yeah. So, technically your job title was Events Programmer or what? Yeah,
1: so it kind of started off as like marketing and events and then led into, yeah, Events Manager um, along with Mark as the kind of venue manager at the Mm -hmm.
0: time. Mark uh, Carlin. Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. Um, What were like the, what were your proudest achievements of your time here being the Events Programmer?
1: Um, God, like so many, um, hmm. but in particular I would always say that like the year of 2012 just like really like changed my life, hmm. like it was yeah amazing, so I'd kind of like got my foot under the door to th- like back in the 2010 and um, into start of 2011. Um, and then started having like a few more kind of creative inputs I remember putting on Austra in 2011 and um, was mm-hmm. one of the first shows that I'd done here and then in 2012 was um, the uh, Queen's Jubilee and um, we did a whole bunch of events around that um, period of time yeah Um including loads with yourself and yeah, um, yeah. with um, so I ran a kind of promotions company alongside that was basically my job and um, caught off with the heads and mm-hmm. that was a kind of an idea that Bill and I had come up with um, of just doing more queer parties and creating a, a home for the kind of queer parties that used to happen so often at the mill with Club Brenda and had started to happen less as <coughs> the venue had become more kind of um, venue-like and a structure and needed to have income and blah 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 so we tried to bring some of that back in um, and yeah putting on in that year from like I think there was one month in particular um, we put on Grimes, Mickey Blanco, Savages, um, and uh, Hunks and His Punks. Yeah. Um, and then finished it with the Queen's Jubilee, yeah. all in like a month. Oh, and Quado and Laurel Halo. It was yeah. just like, yeah, insane. The yeah. energy that I feel like happened within that year was just awesome. I um, do. I
0: remember that period quite well as well because I got a support slot on the Mickey Blanco date, which was incredible. We got to hang out with Mickey backstage. Awesome. Um, but also i think for the for the queen's jubilee that might have been when we did the joyce division's big fat gypsy wedding yeah <laughs> it yeah. was a lot of fun it was um yeah
1: yeah we broke a world record um was in it? in the queen's jubilee so i worked with mother's ruin yeah um, on that event alongside cheryl and it was basically like a huge kind of collaborative effort and yeah. um, but yeah we broke a in fact no the world record was when we did the royal wedding um, celebration, actually, um, with Mother's Ruin. Mm. And we basically made a train out of, like a wedding train, out of carrier bags. So we basically raided Sainsbury's over and over, um, and got everybody's recycled carrier bags, tied all these handles together, and did a parade from the Mark Addy, um, which is now sadly shut, uh. um, where we met the Drunk at Vogue boat party. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we brought the party all the way up, carrying this train all the yeah. way along Chapel Street. And I think at one point it went from, like, the Mark Addy was still bundled up and we were already at the Trinity Way Crossroad. Like, it was long yeah, um, yeah. and quite a sight to behold. Huh? Um, yeah, so that, that was really special. Um, and, yeah, just doing silly things like that, like, um, yeah, and quite conceptual parties mm-hmm. and stuff. I really, um, yeah, loved it and miss it.
0: mm mm-hmm. You mentioned Off Of Their Heads, can you tell me a bit more about what that is, was? was? Yeah,
1: so I guess it was like a party come live music promoter, Mm -hmm. in a simple kind of form. Um, But it was very uh, collaborative in its essence, so some of the parties we had had kind of like six or seven different collectives involved, like Mm, yourself with Tranachy, and Mm -hmm. everyone from Chew Disco to uh, off the hook, to Good Afternoon, to Trasherama, to, um, gosh, like so many people, it, Mother's Ruin, mm-hmm. X Collective, mm-hmm. uh, Volkov Commander, Cheryl, mm-hmm. like all involved sometimes in just like one party. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, the, the way that I always approached it was to try to do something that people didn't expect. That's what I feel like The Mill has always done, mm-hmm. is to kind of give you something that seems very simple, like, mm-hmm in its like presence on paper like a gig but actually you walk into it and it's completely different Mm -hmm. so sometimes like there would be something you had to crawl through to get into the venue. Like I remember once um, an off with the heads party had basically um had this kind of like projector screen that had slipped through the middle and then had a projection of just basically a massive badge on it. And so yeah. people had to enter through a yeah. badge to get into the gig. Yeah, I remember. And that. it was just like set the scene from yeah. the very off and it's like you come into this space, it feels quite scary and intimidating as you're walking up to it because mm-hmm. of the time around then that was like 10 years ago like there weren't all these flats it was still a scary kind of place or a place that people didn't go to often but then you see this and you're like what Mm -hmm. is going on like this is fun and then you walk Mm -hmm. into it and then the band might be playing next to the sound desk or they might be by the bar and not actually on the stage or like just turning things on their heads a little bit yeah um and yeah utilizing like that mix of art and music was like really important for me Mm -hmm. um and
0: can I ask you what your own background is before you came to work at the mill? What yeah. what what did you study and what you trained in?
1: Yeah, so uh, studied English and American literature, which has no impact on what I do today. <laughs> um, but I actually remember my dissertation um, was all about uh, basically lesbian representation in the twenty-first century. So mm-hmm. everything from TV to radio to music to, in the twenty-first century. Yeah. yeah. Um, so from like Katy Lang to um, kind of. The L word, basically. Yeah. Um, and.
0: Oh, Showgirls wasn't made in the 21st century, so that doesn't count. No, wait,
1: actually, no, it was 20th, sorry, 20th century. Right, okay. So yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah you're totally right there. <laughs> um, and, yeah, Andrew Moore was my dissertation. Ah, yeah, right, okay. Tutor, so, yeah, yeah, it was like, so yeah. it kind of came from that, but whilst I was at uni, I was putting on... Um, Music like nights um, at Vanilla in, in mm-hmm. the village um, called Sugar, mm-hmm. which was basically an alternative night for women. Because for me, like I was always into like indie and rock and mm-hmm. like hip hop and stuff that just wasn't cheesy pop and dance. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah I was yeah. like, I'm not. I don't want to go to a club night and do that, or I want to go go to a gig but feel safe and feel mm-hmm. in my community. Um. So yeah, I just took it on myself and did that alongside doing my studies. So mm-hmm. I was doing that for four years. So. Always had this drive for music, like I was DJing at the time, um, and I knew that music was something that I wanted to go into, mm-hmm. um, I just didn't know how, so when I left uni I just started doing loads of little bits and bobs, which is kind of, I guess, how I got here now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Music and like community is really yeah. important
0: to me. Like you said, you almost kind of fell into job at the mill with the volunteering role and yeah, stuff. Definitely. Yeah,
1: definitely, like uh, it's so cheesy, but like right place, right time, just yeah. like, it, yeah, it yeah. was um fully was um
0: how were how the vanilla years do you have any stories from then
1: <laughs> they were good man you know like i really i i think just for anybody of, who
0: might be listening can you yes. just tell us what vanilla is
1: <laughs> yeah so vanilla um was a, the i guess what did they used to call themselves i think it, they were just like an award-winning lesbian bar um mm. one of two lesbian bars in the village like yeah. exclusively um lesbian anyway um at the time and now they're the only remaining one And yeah, basically, like it was so important for me at that time because I was like, felt like I needed that community around me, and Mm -hmm. I think the role that the village plays is huge and still does play it today. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there's a lot of critique about it, um, and I think it is less prevalent than it once was but I think for kids just coming out I think it's still so important Mm. Um, and yeah I I like to think that that still happens but I don't know Mm. if it does but yeah loads of fun stories from there um, like DJing at some of their birthday parties and um, yeah putting on acts like Karima Francis and Axe Girl and Sophie's Pigeons and Hooker who are now Mm. Mines and all sorts of people so I I met lots of people um, and was doing everything from the DJing to the sound checking to the making of the posters and everything in between. Mm. So I really like learn a lot of different skills from yeah. doing that, which yeah. I think set me up for this more like yeah. DIY yeah. aspect of life that so the Mill experiences.
0: In terms of the like music promotion stuff, well, a lot of that you're actually self taught. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool.
1: Absolutely no like education or yeah. like kind of even learning from others to be honest yeah yeah. a lot of it was really self-taught and then later on and start to be able to learn from others um Mm -hmm. yeah
0: um just for clarity for anybody who might be listening to this at some point in the future we it's 2021 and the country has been in lockdown now for almost a year
1: Mm yeah
0: um and it is I feel it's quite, not funny is not the right word, but kind of weird talking about the village and what it represents to youth, because I'm not sure if that's going to be there when we come out of this lockdown, especially, um, I know, well, I mean, I'm not sure, is Vanilla Vanilla still there? As in, it was functioning up until last March, was it? Uh,
1: yes, until yeah. last March it was, yeah.
0: But I don't know if coming out of lockdown, if, for instance, the people who run Vanilla own that bar, or are they, you know, are still paying rent Mm -hmm. to landlords because I think a lot of um, venues that are in that position where they don't own the actual building that they're working from, they're paying rent to the landlords. I don't know if they're gonna come back after Mm -hmm. lockdown. So it is like what you were saying about the village being like very necessary for queer youth as a space to come out and stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering about the future of the village and especially now that like, I don't know if you've been down there lately, but the amount of new builds that have gone Mm -hmm. up there like, there must be at least, kind of similar to this area that we can look out the window, like, there's a whole bunch of new buildings gone up, and it's like, there's probably about a thousand new residents in that area, mm-hmm. and they're all, like, vertical, so they're not, like, taking up the spaces of the bars and stuff, they're just plonked right into the middle of what is traditionally Manchester's, like, queer village. Um, and I'm wondering if that potentially spends the, spells the end of what we have had as the village like do you have any thoughts about that like
1: yeah i mean i think it's been rocky for a number of years like i think there's been monopoly kind of going on there as well um and i think a lot of changing of hands of bars and um like um yeah brands and things like that kind of creeping in more restaurants um yeah i think it has been on as kind of not a decline because I feel like that makes it sound like it's over. Um, but I think there has been a lot of change happening there over mm. the past few years. Um, but I think there are still some really key places that are there, and I hope will continue to be there. But I mm. don't think there will be the variety that say we had in two thousand and five. Yeah. When mm. I first came here, mm. um, I don't. There will never be that variety again, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but hopefully there's enough for people to still feel like they have a community because I think it's so vital. Yeah. Um, but also like I think places like the mill and yeah. the White Hotel yeah. and like other kind of queer spaces have opened up that weren't that mean that the village maybe doesn't have doesn't have as much of a role to play as it once did because there are now multiple homes that aren't just in one space and yes. um, the joy of the village is you can go there and you can go from bar to bar to, to find the right place that you feel comfortable in mm-hmm. um whereas obviously with other places they're spread across the city um but i think yeah there, there truly is somewhere for everyone if you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean that was where i was going to what i was going to bring up after just talking about the village mm-hmm and talking about potentially the village is going to... I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Like There, there, there are some bigger buildings or some bigger venues within the village that aren't going to go anywhere because they're just, you know, the people own them as well, I think. The people yeah. own them, so they're fairly safe during this 12-month period of lockdown. That's the context of what I'm talking about. Mm. But there are a lot of other ones that I think are just going to disappear. Yeah. But I think it's... As someone who came to Manchester a lot later in life and didn't really need or use the village as a place to find myself mm. my and my sexuality necessarily. Um, I've never had that really deep connection to the village itself. What's more important for me is taking queer culture and queer visibility outside of the village actually yeah, I agree. and seeding it and watching it grow in general in both Manchester and Salford because sometimes the village can be a bit like a ghetto if I'm honest, mm. like the way pride is run there big conversation, don't really want to get into that now, but it's like it has its negative aspects as well and I think one of the great things about finding the mill and also when me and my partner started putting on Trannery events here and stuff and working with yourself, it was that idea of trying to seed queer culture outside of the village, mm. because not everyone feels comfortable going to the village as well. Yeah. That's the other side. Yeah. Whereas Islington Mill always felt like somewhere where it's just like, the minute I set foot in this place, I was also like, oh, this feels like home. Mm.
1: You know? Yeah, I fully agree. And I think as somebody who's kind of like tread the line between the two for so long, I totally see the pros and cons of mm. them all. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just great that we live in a city that has um, like a yep. multifaceted type yeah. of like space for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and
0: so, yeah. And I also think bearing in mind that so many of the spaces are actually geared towards cis male gays, mm-hmm. and you know, there's like you said, there's was two lesbian bars in the village. Yeah. How many gay bars are in the village? Yeah, like yeah, dozens. Yeah. And there's like two lesbians. It's like yeah, proportionally representation and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. lesbian so I don't know Mm. but do you feel that like Manchester could be better for lesbian representation and also places for queer female people to feel comfortable and go to and
1: Mm. Um, that's a really tough one you know cuz I think yeah like having two bars to go to was like a bit of a joke when mm. I was like in the village it was like oh which one do you go to tonight like <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to. There, was, there was always like real competition between the two as well mm. whereas actually I think in me creating Sugar I think I was actually saying I don't feel comfortable in either of these spaces so mm. I need to create my own space within this space yeah. to do that and like it was full every Wednesday mm. like yeah. it was mad yeah. so there was obviously an appetite for it Um, And so, yeah, I think it's weird. I was literally stood in um, a coffee shop yesterday, um, Ezra and Gill, and I was like, do you know what's so weird? In three streets parallel to each other in the Northern Quarter, we've got Feel Good Club, Ezra and Gill, and Fig and Sparrow, and they're three lesbian-run cafes. Mm -hmm. It's like, what does that tell me about lesbian culture in Manchester right now? We're more interested in coffee than booze, (laughs) Um, which I'm I'm into. Um, And also more...
0: Populating the Northern Quarter more than the village.
1: Exactly, which is when I discovered the Northern Quarter. I was like, oh wow There's so many people here that look like me and Mm. feel like me and Mm. oh, I feel Quite comfortable here actually, Mm -hmm. and I think there is like a I think lesbians in Manchester Do not I feel like we've moved away from potentially needing a space um, and Now it's just and I think that that's the joy of Manchester as well is Mm. that there, there is just recognition across the board and obviously there are massive issues i'm not saying mm. that we live in this like amazing yeah. city that's accepting everyone absolutely not um, but it is better than other places yeah. um but yeah i don't there isn't one space just for lesbians to go to and i don't know if that's a problem or yeah i'm not sure my mm-hmm. opinions on that actually um yeah. yeah i think it would be nice to have somewhere that was more Geared to us, but I actually also think it's nice to like meet other people. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't just want to talk to lesbians all the time. Yeah, 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 (laughs) true, that is true. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like my point about seeding queer culture outside of the village as Mm -hmm. well because it means that, like, my partner always talks about, I guess I'm going to have to talk about Pride a little bit Mm -hmm. because it is the flagship representational event that is supposed to represent our communities, Mm. even though a lot of us within the communities don't really feel it does Mm. that, but also the way it is literally run for anyone who might be listening to this and doesn't know it's run from within the village, basically, and they just erect this huge fence around the village and then charge people to go in and out of the village, and it's like they're literally ghettoising the village Mm. and then charging us to come in and out of what is normally our space anyway, supposedly, But beyond that, Joe's always kind of like my partner who I promote stuff with. He's always kind of like looking at um, Carnival and he always compares how Carnival is run as a representation of a specific community within the Greater Manchester area to how Pride is run. And he says, like, carnival, they go to Alexander Park and it's big and it's open to the public and it's free and people just walk into the park and they're a part of carnival. And, you know, whereas Pride is shutting ourselves off into the village and charging people to come in and out. And Joe was always kind of like, Pride needs to leave the village and find a home that's bigger than the village to accommodate more people, but also that, like, doesn't have to charge people to go in and out so that, people who have no experience of queer culture can just come and have a look and satisfy their curiosity because it's like I do understand how if you're not a part of this culture it can seem very alienating from the outside but the reality is it's not that alienating most people are quite accepting Mm -hmm. so to give people the chance to come and just like dip your toe into it have a look just have it like you know people who are like wouldn't maybe not want to go walking down Canal Street in the village, mm. just give them an opportunity to come and experience a kind of greater um, experience of queer life in Manchester and what that means rather than constantly keeping it to this place that we already go to mm. for that. I think that's like if we could take pride out of the village, even though I know so many of the businesses in the village really depend on it for the livelihood, I get that, but theoretically. It's like, it is supposed to be about kind of integrating queer culture into the larger culture of the city, mm. and I don't know if it does that, mm. but I don't know, that's a that's a big conversation.
1: Yeah, I think more and more so over the last few years, it has started to do that for sure. Yeah. Um, I think they've listened to a lot of critique that has basically been saying the same thing. Um, mm. And I mean, I was involved with Pride for years, I used to DJ on the main stage for it, um, and always kind of said that as well like mm. i was doing that alongside running off with their heads which mm-hmm. at the time as i say like mm-hmm. walking that line between the two i really felt quite distanced actually from both of those communities because mm. i felt like there was the divide and because i was involved with two i was like kind of isolated from being an either yeah um and so yeah i've definitely felt that um kind of critique of it from both angles um and I think they've listened and are starting to do things like with the kind of Superbia program and mm-hmm. kind of doing more outreach stuff I think yeah I think time will tell and I guess like the um experiment with Mayfield Depot and stuff allowed the village to kind of be a bit more open last mm-hmm. time around I believe um I wasn't actually there so I don't, I don't know firsthand but um yeah I think it will change. I think it has to change because mm-hmm. the scene in Manchester has changed mm-hmm. it, from like early nineties, queer as folk mm-hmm. kind of that scene that we all know so well from kind of mainstream television now mm-hmm. Um, is very different to where we're at in 2021 yeah, very, um, very different. and Manchester is very different as a city as well. Like yeah. I, I assume in 1990s Manchester, I couldn't have walked into the Northern quarter and probably feel felt comfortable, or like walked down to Salford and felt comfortable, Mm. Um, I imagine it was probably a very different space. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like the Hacienda and stuff had a lot of kind of queer kind of community Mm. presence and acceptance within it as well. So I don't know, maybe it has always been open, but yeah, as a Scouser, I can't um, kind of comment too much on on the historical side of it.
0: Like as an Irish person who also used to live in Scotland, who only arrived here 10 years ago. I mean, just from my experience of walking around other cities, I do feel a lot more relaxed here. Mm. As and I don't know, like I'm a cisgender man, so I'm not as threat. I don't face as much threats mm. in the day to day just walking around life as other um, people within the LGBTQ community do. But even having said that, I just feel more comfortable walking around Manchester as a gay person mm. and. I think one of the things that is always a mark of how you sense that, I feel, is like in, for instance, in Glasgow, I'd see somebody on the street and my gaydar would be, ping, 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 oh, Hmm. I think they might be one of us. But then it goes, no, they're probably not, they're probably not, they're probably just Mm -hmm. something. Whereas in Manchester, if you see someone and they make your gaydar go ding, 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 you're like, yeah, they're gay. (laughs) They're gay because it's so open and it's so visible and it's already a culture that is established here mm-hmm. that um, yeah i do think it is better here than it is in other cities but yeah like we're not saying that it's perfect mm-hmm. here but yeah, any uh, by any at stretch I think,
1: um, yeah. yeah i think that's what i love about like Islander Mill and the kind of like culture that is uh, has been um, inherently ingrained into into the space here is that like it i think in all its time um, like it's been led by queer people since Bill took over the building mm-hmm. um, in the early 90s or late 90s, sorry. Um, and I think that's been really important um, for like its programming and things mm-hmm. like that. Like you look at the list of the names of the bands who have performed here mm. and you wouldn't go, oh that's a gay club. You wouldn't even say that's a queer club, mm. but it is. And yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. you walk walking here. And it feels like I can be whoever I want to be. It's incredibly welcoming. It's just like it settles you and it's like just, yeah, no holds like, yeah. What's the word I'm trying to say? Um, But yeah, you just feel comfort, basically, Um, even if you're here to see like, I don't know, Dutch uncles or something Mm -hmm. like a really kind of, yeah straight band, Um, Mm. it doesn't matter, you can still be whoever you want and I think The Mill has really like helped to ingrain that kind of queer culture into straight culture and Mm -hmm. make people just...
0: Um, Can you tell me then, do you mind giving us the condensed version of what is Sounds from the Other City and what is your involvement?
1: What is Sounds? Um, so Sounds is a uh, annual music festival um, that celebrates performance, music, and art. Um, it's been taking place for 17 years. Well, this year would have been our 17th, um, but sadly we've had to cancel for the second year running due to the coronavirus um, kind of pandemic. Um, so yeah, 2022. Hopefully, we'll be back and it'll be our 18th year. Um, and yeah, so happens on the May Day bank holiday. I think the last edition we did was our um, quindecennial, where we took over Regent Trading Estate um, and worked. We basically worked with different promoters from across the city or across the the UK. They each program a stage, um, put on a bunch of acts, we give them a budget, and then we kind of get these lineups that go from like folk to techno to hip hop to um, metal and everything else in between. Um and we just throw one big kind of 14-15 hour party across Chapel Street. Um, mm-hmm. I think twenty eighteen was the last time we were fully on Chapel Street, and we used twenty three venues across the, the area yeah. within like a, I guess a one mile radius. Yeah. Um, and worked with twenty seven promoters from across the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just like a massive, I, I always like to call it a big day out in Salford because that's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been involved since 2010, so this would have been my 12th festival yeah. um, on it. And I'm now director with uh, Mark Carlin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrie, um was one of the founders along with Mark mm-hmm. um, and stepped out uh, probably like 2012, something like that. Um, so yeah, it's just like a big culmination of just mm-hmm. lots of amazing brains and mm. activity.
0: And you said that unfortunately you've had to cancel it this year because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. Is there going to be any like online or any?
1: Up for debate still. Right. Yeah. Okay. so yeah, we're, we're considering different options for this year and what we might do. Um, but we're hoping to basically spend the time to just become a bit more of a resilient festival. We've been DIY for our whole 17 years so Mm. far. Um, And we've really noticed that through this pandemic, in just like the real nuts and bolts of like we don't have a payroll and therefore we don't have any staff on our books and etc etc which is an issue when we come into kind of yeah times like this yeah so we're just trying to tighten up the organization do lots of back-end stuff so that we can come back in 2022 and just be super strong and just like even more resilient for the future to have this platform that people from all shapes and sizes and like places and whatever come to to just celebrate and be themselves yeah. Um, and yeah so we want to make sure that for the future we can still be there.
0: I kind of feel like it, the mill and sounds and us and stuff being based in Salford is a bit of a blank slate that maybe actually technically Manchester wouldn't have mm. and allows us to do stuff here that's a bit, because it's slightly out of the way. And maybe people don't yet I mean it's coming there with stuff like the White Hotel and the mill and stuff this idea that Salford itself is some kind of cultural capital didn't like what like when I first arrived in Manchester in 2010 and saw adverts for sounds from the other city I didn't know about the Salford Manchester divide at that time so I just thought that that was a festival based in Manchester because Manchester is not London Mm -hmm. rather than oh no it's even deeper than that it's Salford is not Manchester so yeah I think that maybe actually being based in Salford is a real benefit to Mm. us because we can like you said we can build our own scenes here we're not relying on something that's already here
1: yeah yeah, and Salford City Council are incredibly supportive of places like this as well Um, and I think the whole kind of cultural strategy for the area is that Salford is a place of making and Mm. that is what the mill has been doing for like 30 years now nearly Um, and that's why they love places like this and want them to continue Mm and so yeah I think we're in a really good good place to kind of rekindle that like Energy that is going to come out the back of this pandemic, I think. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been reading a lot about the Roaring Twenties came out the back of yeah. the Spanish influenza. And yeah,
0: yeah. Like, in the First yeah, World War. We're
1: probably due for due yeah. for the next.
0: And then in ten years' time, we'll have fascism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It. It's great. Can't and wait. on that note, <laughs> thank you. <laughs>